0: Hello, this is Charles Wiz with Two Teachers Talking. This is episode 166. Usually, Tony and I get together and talk about all things related to teaching English in Japan and teaching in Japanese universities. But today we have um, what I, I, I think is a really special guest. This is Taishi Watanabe. And Taishi was like my first one of two first seminar students at my university. So I worked really closely with him. And Taishi, I think you graduated about, what, 10 years ago? Yeah, 10 or 11 or 12. Yeah, like that. Yeah, something like that. So welcome to the podcast. And why don't you give us a brief, um, let our listeners know, you know, just tell us about yourself a little bit.
1: Okay. Uh thank you very much for inviting me in this talk. Um my name is Taishi Watanabe. I am a Japanese high school public school teacher and I've been teaching English for about 12 years now. And this year I am back at the university and to learn about English
0: education again. And that is all. Taisi, you studied um in you studied English education as an undergraduate. Yes. And now in your masters you're doing second language acquisition specifically, correct? Yes. And what do you think um you're you just finished your first semester of graduate school starting your second. What are you looking at? What are you interested in as a master's student right now? As a master's student.
1: Okay. Yeah. The first semester was a little busy taking like the like compulsive uh, classes and which was about like managing the school or something so it wasn't of my interest but and you know, I my interest is around like you know using AI in English education and I am interested in testing and also I now I'm interested in English teacher training,
0: especially the fresh teachers. You mean novice teachers, beginning teachers? Yeah. Okay. So that's a lot there. Our previous episode, 165, Tony and I talked about AI and ChatGPT for the second time. But Mm -hmm. uh, maybe it's kind of interesting to talk about teacher training. So there's three areas you're interested in. AI in English classes, let's say. Um, And then you said testing and assessment. Mm -hmm. and teacher training and for me of course the teacher training is the most interesting thing right but let's go back a little bit so you've been teaching for you said about 11 12 years yes let's say you think back to what you learned and what you know now and what do you wish you knew as a beginning teacher that you know now, for example, you know in terms of organizing your classes, managing your classes materials, approaches to teaching and learning, what do you wish you knew then that you know now that kind of came from experience
1: oh that's a good question um, for me, I wanted to I wanted to learn how to deal with the you know, the classroom, like dynamics, but I didn't learn in, in, you know, in the university. I learned a lot about um, SLA and, you know, cognitive grammar and, you know, that kind of stuff, how to teach English, but I didn't learn how to control the classroom and how to make a good relationship with the students, and I just pick it up as I teach in, in the real classroom.
0: Okay, so how long do you think it took you to feel comfortable in a classroom in terms of creating a positive dynamic and positive relations with your student and being able to manage the classroom? How many years or days or weeks did that take you?
1: uh for me i yeah, definitely you know, I think it depends on the people uh but in the person, but for me, it took maybe two or three years. You know, first, uh, yeah, at the beginning, I was too like, kind of strict because I was very young, and you know, like we have like five year gap age, so I was kind of worried about they think that I am their kind of friend, but I couldn't um make like build a good relationship between them, so I started to change my attitude. You know, and then I pick it
0: up. So you went from being st- so strict your first year or first couple of years?
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> my first first year and second okay. year. Yeah.
0: What's an example of being strict because you were concerned of that age difference um, being so narrow? What give us some examples of how you were strict?
1: This is not real my real personality, but I tried to be. Try to Look strict and try to look like kind of more adult-like and yeah I didn't talk to I I didn't talk a lot with the students like the normal conversation outside the classroom you know Mm -hmm. yeah but I, I know now I know that you know that's very wrong but you know I was kind of worried about you know being too close
0: so Yeah, I was like that. Okay, so you kind of kept your distance from them, didn't really engage them one on one outside of class and kind of kept more of a formal relationship with them. I'm sorry. So you felt like you would you wouldn't talk to them one on one, let's say, outside of class so much. And you maintained like a formal relationship with them. What yeah. happened in your third year or after your strict period? You what did you do? How did you change?
1: Yeah, I started to talk to the students, you know, outside the classroom and the and in the classroom too. And we talked about like not too much but like private stuff too and what they are thinking and what they what they were worried about, you know. And from that period, I started to understand the students, you know, uh, more deeply. And then they probably, the students feel that I, the Taishi Watanabe, uh, Mr. Watanabe tried to try to understand us or something. And then I believe that I could build more,
0: you know, the better relationship with the students and so you found that that one-on-one interaction um, translated into better classroom dynamics? The first step to make
1: a good uh, classroom dynamics is, you know, to have good relationship with
0: uh, each students. So first couple of years you're strict, then you kind of start talking more to students. What about now, before you came back to the master's program, um, were you... Is that pretty much you stayed the same? You would talk to them out of class or did you find yourself getting easier or a little less strict? Or did you find yourself getting more strict in terms of expectations of behavior or how you were engaging with the students?
1: Um, Now, I kind of I don't think too much, you know, just I try to be natural. I mean, in other words, I try to be me, you know not Mm -hmm. pretending uh, anything because you know I think that's the most effective way to be like myself and then you know students will find out if I pretend something but if I am natural then they they you know I think they can believe in me and then Mm -hmm. I think we need that
0: Right. Well there is interesting research about teacher personas and how teachers are in the classroom and mm-hmm. I I think that uh, I'm different in front of the classroom than I am as a you know person outside of the classroom not a lot but there are differences um in my personality and it's always mm-hmm. interesting for me to kind of notice that and watch it but I'm not sure <laughs> I don't know. I can see that. that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We should mention, by the way, that uh, Taishi has been observing, sitting in, participating, coming to some of my classes that I teach. And it's really nice having somebody to get feedback and uh, get comments on. So thank you for that. Okay, so we talk about this now. What about your teacher training experience? It's short and on the podcast I've talked with you know Sophie that's my daughter we've talked Mm -hmm. about her experience and like her teacher training her actual teacher training in the classroom is like I don't know how many months longer maybe even like a year longer Japanese Mm -hmm. students get a very short teacher training program so how much how many actual teaching days did you teach before you became a teacher
1: before I became a teacher
0: yeah, your actual um, teacher training, which is called kyokujishu, Jishu, I think, mm-hmm. in Japan.
1: Yeah. I had six or four classes to teach. <laughs> Total. Yeah. Elementary in, school. In junior and, high school. Oh, in junior element, high school. Yeah, in junior high school. And in elementary school, I had a lot of classes, like a lot of compared to the junior high school. I mean, like 20
0: classes or something. So classes are like 45 minute, 50 minute sessions, 50 minute session. So I think Sophie had that like (laughs) within two weeks (laughs) and her teacher program, training program, because there's the observation phase, which I think goes for four or five weeks. And then there's actually a semester of actual teaching and she's actually going to finish with another semester of teaching as well. Mm. So that's kind of interesting. Okay, so. What did you what's your big takeaways from your teacher training? What did you learn while you were doing your teacher training that was helpful and useful for you?
1: Um I learned a lot from my experience teaching um teaching training in You're elementary school. teacher. Uh yeah. I don't I okay. mean I learned a lot from like uh elementary school teacher training because you know that's not my major but i had to do it and at the beginning i didn't know what i didn't really didn't know what to do but you know the the elementary kids were very um nice and you know they're very honest so the if the class quality really depends on how to, you know, um, direct the classroom. And it it means, like, I am very responsible in the class. So I had to be careful where I stand, how I talk, you know, and where I look at, you know. So I learned a lot about action or attitude in the classroom as a teacher. Mm -hmm. And it was very nice.
0: And what about your junior high school experience
1: uh junior high school was um yeah the 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 class i taught was like only four or six so i didn't do a lot i couldn't do a lot but one of the mentor teachers said to me taught me that um the environment is very important in like junior high school. So if the classroom is dirty, the student's mind will be a mess. So you need to clean it up and some kind of that. So I learned that knowledge.
0: So the importance of the environment and the surroundings for the students has an impact on their learning. Yeah. Right. We kind of know that, right? Noisy environments, for example, or um, other kinds of environments will have an effect. Okay. Yeah. So you did that now the question i have i want to now move more into when you became a regular teacher and you were you know, had your own classroom mm. and there's always this question about um current theory supports or seems the current evidence as far as we know is that collaborative learning project-based learning problem-based learning all these different kinds of tasks they're actually tasks that should it should be problem-based learning it should be problem-based tasks right or task-based tasks um, (laughs) are the best way for students to learn but there's so much pressure i think for high school teachers to cover the required materials Yes. how do you manage that how do you manage giving students like those kind of interaction, interactive um, activities, and covering the material you have to cover, and getting them ready for, let's say, you know, really for college entrance exams.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: That's a good question. The my
1: first high school was uh, uh, there are a lot of students who want to go to the university, and pretty much all the students wants to wanted to go to the university, and they really want to study for the entrance examination. And the teachers were like that, you know. They were tried to, you know, let the students go to the university. And, like, 10 years ago was the time when the English teachers started to teach English in English in Japan. Like, for the first time in history. So, they... they didn't know how to do it and they didn't know, you know, if it was effective, you know, to teach English in Japan. So they believe that, you know, grammar translation is the strongest uh, way to teach English in high school. And, but I learned, you know, I I learned how to teach English in Australia and in university. And I knew that, you know teaching English in English is effective so I tried to find a way to teach English in English in Japanese high school but first at first the teacher around me didn't understand me and sometimes I was kind of like why are you use English to teach English (laughs) that was funny question But, um, I was actually asked the question and, you know, but I kept, um, I had, you know, I have a good friend who are also, who were also English teacher. So I talked and discussed how to teach English in English and I survived and I, you know, as I, as I keep, kept doing it, um, they gradually understood me and then, you know, they started to uh, do it, you know, teach English in English.
0: OK, so you weren't were you observing other teachers or working with other teachers or when you started out, was there like a senior teacher, mentor teacher who would come in and observe you and coach you? I'm not sure I understand what was going on there or was this just discussion in the teacher's room?
1: Yeah, um, there was a guy who were supposed to be my mentor teacher, but he he saw my class only like once or twice, and he didn't do nothing you know didn't do anything and I saw his class like several times, but he he was the one who loved grammar translation and mm-hmm. you know so he didn't even try to understand the new way so i didn't talk too much to him
0: so in english we say or american english we say you were flying blind flying there was blind. no right there was no guidance right you're the first kind of almost like you're saying you're the first generation of teachers who came into the program with direct instruction in english is that correct yeah so there really wasn't or weren't a lot of people you could lean on so That's that exciting part of the first year teacher where you're just trying anything, right? Yeah, it was kind
1: of exciting, (laughs) frustrating though, you know. But it was exciting,
0: yeah. Yeah, sometimes I think that my best year of teaching might have been my second or third year. Mm -hmm. The first year I had no idea what I was doing, Mm -hmm. (laughs) so I'm just (laughs) trying all sorts of things. And then by the second year, it's like, okay, I know that these things don't work and these things work. So then you you throw those things that don't work out, and then you put in some new things. By about the third year, I was still trying things. I was still exploring and experimenting. Mm. But after, I think, five years, I was like, ah, I, I think I know how to do this now. <laughs> I think mm-hmm. my, the quality of my teaching kind of decreased. I don't know, because, again, it's so hard to evaluate yourself because, yeah. you know, the differences in classrooms, right? We were talking about this the other day, that you can teach the same class three or four times in one day. Mm -hmm. same lesson same materials you basically say the same things and the results are just so off the charts in terms of variability yeah one class works one doesn't so it's always that you know you know what's what's the magical number of extroverted students or motivated students in a class that allows that to happen so i just find that so interesting so okay so you go in you've got your you've taken your courses in methods methodology not just um second language acquisition but you also had education courses in your undergraduate career right Yeah general education classes mm-hmm. what um what subjects were covered there just so the audience members can get an idea of what you went through
1: Okay my university was for my um my department was for actually uh, to be um elementary teachers. So I had to take like lectures about how to teach like every subject in elementary school. So yeah, there are a lot. But I, you know, I wasn't interested, you know, in those classes, but the essence were, you know, actually it was useful, you know, and other than that, you yeah. know, so I, yeah, I learned like in English department, I learned um, SLA a little bit and like grammar a little bit and literature a little bit, but uh, mostly I tried to read a book by myself to learn how to mm-hmm. teach English in English and also I went to Australia for eight months Mm-hmm. And there, I learned like uh, t- TESOL based uh, English teaching method. So, and it was very, very useful, and I still use it sometimes.
0: Okay, what were some useful things you learned in Australia?
1: Because you know, I I didn't go to the university in Australia. I went to a uh, language school mm-hmm. for like you know non-native speakers. And so there, the, the students were from, like, everywhere and who have, like, different mother tongues. And the teacher should use, uh, should teach English, in English, you know. It's compulsive because there are no uh, common mother tongue. Mm. So it was a good example. I, you know, as I take the lesson, I learned, you know, I learned English, but also, um you know, how to teach English in English, you know, in front, just in front of me. And it's, it was very nice experience. And I learned in in the TESOL course, I learned, like, every, like, details, how to, like, like concrete method, how to teach English in English, like from the, how to uh, give a good instruction, how to teach vocabularies, how to teach pronunciation, you know and how to teach reading and what's the reading sub skills and how to teach them like that so Mm -hmm. it was very concrete and you know it was very useful the knowledge was useful
0: and so so you actually were learning by just watching the teaching right so you were a student that's interesting because i remember when i went back for a master's degree after teaching for a while i couldn't stop myself from watching how the teacher was teaching the class I actually missed a lot of content the first you know, one or two classes because I was like, oh, this is interesting how this person teaches. Oh, look what they do. Ah, oh, I didn't think about that. So it was kind of an interesting thing. So you you feel that your, let's say, initial teacher training courses or whatever courses you took as an undergraduate to prepare you for a teacher were more general, were more theory based, let's say, rather than practical based. Mm-hmm. Would that be a way to describe it? Uh, describe what? Well, the courses you took, you said when you went to Australia as a student mm-hmm. to learn mm-hmm. English, yeah, you really learned a lot. You said, you know, concrete ways to teach concrete, oh, yeah. let's say how to teach vocabulary, how to teach reading and its subskills, for example. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like to me, like you're saying, that's kind of a little bit different than what you were learning as an undergraduate. And I'm asking, was your undergraduate experience more theory based or, you know, what? Kind of oh, okay. an overlap. That's what I'm curious about.
1: Okay. I mean the the course I took in Australia was based on like TESOL. So it's basically based on like SLA, right? Mm-hmm. So you know, I I because I learned like SLA and stuff in Japan, I could more I believe that I could more understand that how they connect you know the way and the theory so it was i i was kind of lucky because you know i learned the theory first and then i went to australia and i learned how to apply all those Mm -hmm. theory into practice right and Mm -hmm. i could i was able to look at the the good example by native speaker so you know i was i was lucky
0: OK, so this was actually a course in how to teach English, correct? Not just learning English, not to just for you to go and improve your English, correct?
1: Uh, both. I took both
0: classes. Oh, so there was one class was to improve your English, let's say, and another was actually how to be an English teacher. Yeah. Right. Now, let's go back to uh, how to you, the English learning class. Okay. How did that differ from your your college let's say your college english classes was it the same was it different was you know did the classroom were the classrooms designed differently different kinds of activities were the teaching approaches similar or different
1: they were pretty much like totally different you know the class class size was very different you know when i was in australia it was uh, 16 at the maximum but mm-hmm. back in japan it was like like 50 students in the class in the same classroom, and the layout of the classroom is very different. Uh, the in language school uh, there is a square big table and sitting four or five students are sitting in one table and it's in two so that they can you know talk to each other easily, but you know uh, in university uh, the the desks and chairs facing only to the board and you know it was hard to communicate with each other and also the the language school was very the class was very communicative but whereas in japan the the english class was like a lecture so we could we just listen to the lecture talking lecturer talking or we listen to a cd or we watch movies or we just read like new uh, news articles or like papers so it was it was totally different
0: okay what's your take now i I think you've come back and you're watching different teachers classes are you seeing more interaction in the english language classes compared to when you were a student
1: actually i haven't seen the yeah, english classes here so i i i, I can't say anything but from well, the, you've seen mine you've seen mine <laughs> your, your class is very different from others <laughs> so like <laughs> yours is yours is very communicative and the topic is not you know uh, like your class is not for learning english you know yours your class is for like you know different stuff like l- learning how to learn effectively or how to be a good learner you know so but the you know the um the purpose is very different well fortunately i'm retiring so they
0: can't fire me now for for not teaching english (laughs) thanks for that one touch (laughs) (laughs)
1: yeah but i i I think it's a it's a good idea you know okay english is just a way
0: i i probably uh, my part of my thinking is based on You know, by the time I get students, they've been studying English for five years, Mm. at least. And now they're starting an elementary school. And I would just say, if you get to college, I don't know how much more vocabulary I can teach or how much more grammar I can teach Mm -mm. to a student. So my focus is that, you know, most of the students just have very little experience using their English, actually speaking and listening Mm-mm. which is always funny because I'll have students working together and they'll be doing their group work and you know my communicative activities and then on the evaluations I'll say you don't give us enough listening experience <laughs> and I'm like you're you know because students don't think that listening to other students is part of you know listening practice Mm-mm. it's really interesting and I have to point out to them it's like hey you know listening when you're talking having conversations when you're doing pair work or group work or doing a task and listening to the other students and taking notes about what they say and engaging with them asking open-ended questions and follow-up questions i say that's listening practice i think a lot of students think that listening practice is listening to like a you know some kind of like toefl listening exercise Mm -mm. and this is something that's i think uh, because you're attending this class where i explained to my I have to teach what's supposed to be a TOEFL preparation class. I'm not teaching that because I don't think it, it gives a real benefit to students in terms of what happens in the real world. Mm-hmm. Like, for example, the idea on a TOEFL test that you can't take notes while you're listening. And by the way... This is part of what your graduation thesis was about, right? Yeah. was you actually why don't you explain that because that was really some interesting research since we're talking about listening and reading <laughs> and the practicality of TOEFL.
1: yeah, actually,
0: I use the TOEIC test, but pretty much okay, to say. but it's yeah,
1: yeah. okay, sorry that's no, okay, <laughs> yeah, my thesis was about the title was the effect of like uh, like multiple choice questions on the channel wait, wait, wait um. I compared, uh, no, no, I focused on the listening test, uh, like TOEIC test and TOEIC test uses, uh, like multiple choice questions, which has, uh, the question and like there are three or four item options, right? And then the, the test takers have to choose one correct answer from what they heard. And, but while I was taking the TOEIC test, I, TOEIC listening test the I had a problem with uh, answering the questions which was I couldn't answer the question because I couldn't read the long uh, options you know the TOEIC mm-hmm. test have like long options you know and and then I thought Wait, wait a minute, this is a listening test, but I have to read and I can't answer this question because I can't read the item options. And I thought this is kind of wrong because this is a it should be a listening test. But I thought I could understand the, what I heard, but I couldn't answer the question because it was in English and it was too long. So I changed the item options into in a Japanese and then see I saw if there is a score difference between you know um the students who who answered the Japanese questions and who answered English questions did I make um clear explain yeah and what were the results um results were uh Overall, it was different. you know uh, there was a significant difference. I mean Japanese um, uh, Japanese questions were higher. but uh, if you um, put if you divide the uh, test takers group into three levels, um, the first and second level, I mean lower and middle level, there was a significant difference, but in higher level students it, there were no differences you know, so it was kind of interesting so I inferred that you know in toeic tests there might be uh interference um because of like the interference with um bike by, by um reading skills but i I didn't find out find it out
0: but you know. That's my um, inference. Yeah, it seems to me that it's you pointed, you identified something that's conflating. It's actually testing two separate things, right? Mm-hmm. It's testing your listening ability and then your ability to read the questions. Uh, and uh, I think that's was interesting. I, and somehow, for some reason, I also remember because it's a long time ago since worked together with you on your thesis mm. that there was also something about short-term memory. Am I correct? Talked about Uh, this maybe right that the test is kind of the way the test is designed is how well you can store the the listening text in your memory in short term memory because Uh by the time you start listening to the next listening text you've already forgotten what you heard before yeah it's not just necessarily measuring listening ability but it's also measuring you know memory capacity and the ability of students, what they can remember and keep in working memory. Yeah, and that's what I tell my students is that, you know, that's just not a real-life measure Mm. of, you know, how listening works in the real world. And, you know, for the TOEFL, of course, which is, look, you know, prepare a measurement of students' ability to actually attend a university or college with English instruction, the idea that you wouldn't be able to take notes while listening just strikes me as being kind of strange. Yeah, it is Because, strange. right, in classes, you're always taking notes, or at least a, not my Japanese students. I have to teach them how to take notes. i like, <laughs> I got a piece of paper. And pencil. By the way, when you were in Australia, were the students all taking notes? Yeah, I
1: guess. I mean, they didn't have notes, but they put notes on their
0: textbooks. That's still note-taking, writing in your textbook. Mm. Right, I think... I consider that taking notes. So and that's a big thing I have, you know, but it's like note taking is just such an important skill in life. Mm -hmm. You go to a meeting, you take notes, you talk to your advisor, you take notes. Actually, I think my wife sometimes takes notes while I'm talking. (laughs) (laughs) Yesterday, you said (laughs) uh, (laughs) you have the importance of note taking. One of the things I, I guess is that students don't like the note taking thing. They don't really have a lot of opportunities in classes to practice these, what I would call hard skills that would be useful in the real world. And for example, in my listening and reading classes, when I tell students that, you know, you can watch this uh, TED Talk or watch this YouTube, I have to explain to them that if you're watching for content, if you're watching for understanding, not to practice your listening skills, then of course you're going to Pause and take notes or rewind and go back and review something that you think is significant or important. And that's an example again of like a real world listening skill. It's like, wait a second, you're. Try, you know, we, so many people learn things from YouTube. I know that I use YouTube as like a big learning source. If I need to learn something I don't know about, I'll go onto YouTube and, you know, find YouTube. somebody who's giving lectures. I think everybody does that now. I think it's like, it used to be, I used to say, who's the greatest teacher in the world? And I'd say Google. And now I have to change that to YouTube. <laughs> It's right. still Google. <laughs> it still might be. Yeah, it is Google's company, right? So you're right. It's still. No, actually, it's Alphabet, right? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but the idea, for example, that you say to a student, you want to learn how to use YouTube as a tool for learning. And the students will think that it's inappropriate or incorrect or not okay for them to pause the video, stop and take notes and then continue the video. I have to explicitly point that out to them and say, hey, this is an example. You can't stop the TOEFL listening part. but And you can't really stop a speaker, although you can by just saying, I'm sorry, I don't understand. Would you please say that again? Which most people, of course, won't do. Meetings, people will stop in real meetings and say, excuse me, I, I need clarification on that. So I think that You know, this kind of listening model is inappropriate or incorrect if we're really trying to teach people how to learn things in English. But again, as you say, that just shows my approach Mm -hmm. is based on that. It's kind of an interesting thing. Yeah, I think. So let's now move in terms of talking about tools and things you when I talked with you last semester, Mm. you had talked about you were interested in chat GPT and prompt engineering as yeah. a possible master's thesis research topic where are you with that what's your attitude about ChatGPT? how do you, do you think it should be used should it be banned uh what's your approach to it in terms of you know being an english teacher
1: okay in my opinion um for me i'm um, personally i i love gpt and that's the strongest tool i've ever had and it's free and i'm paying the subscription by the way, but. The subscription
0: allows you to use a more advanced version of ChatGPT, correct? Yes.
1: Now it can read the
0: picture too.
1: As an English teacher, I'm kind of like wondering if, you know, I think it depends on how old the students are and how kind of advanced in, in, in English skills, because even though they don't Understand uh, in an English word they can put a Japanese prompt in chat GPT and ask chat GPT to make English translation and it makes a kind of nice uh, translation right but they I think people people will do that action like, like everyone will do that action in the future I mean now people are, start doing it but they have to check it before you use it. You actually use it, you know. Otherwise, probably the the ChatGPT gives you like like different sentences which you know you want. So that's why I want the students to have a skill to check the out the output from ChatGPT, and that until they have that skill i don't think they should use chat gpt too much what do you think
0: yeah well tony and i've talked about this a lot and i've talked to some other teachers what always surprises me is that there hasn't been big discussions at the universities i'm at (laughs) they're uh right you know i'm still waiting for discussions in my program I'm still waiting, as I've pointed out on this podcast many times or several times. I'm still waiting for a discussion about machine translation and how that impacts the teaching of English. You know, how do we approach it? Because Mm. let's say 10 years out from Mm. real time. Translation, audio translation with an earpiece while you're listening to somebody. This is from my generation. It was always like the science fiction show, Star Trek's universal translator, which would translate, um, you know, any alien language into like English or something with some <laughs> earthly language. And we're not that far away from it, I think. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I, you know, I just think whatever tools we have, Let's embrace them and let's actually ask ourselves, you know, what skills do we need to teach? And one of my big things and listeners are probably rolling their eyes again because they're going to go, oh, no, here he goes again. Mm. But I think that we need to start teaching the important or pragmatics early on, knowing the differences in register. For example, in Japanese, you have to know when to say watakushi, watashi, boku, right? Mm -hmm. Different levels of politeness. But you don't really start off with that too much in Japanese. But in English, I don't think there's enough of an emphasis of saying, "Okay, what situation are you in? who are you talking to? What register do we need to use here? Because Mm -hmm. that's going to be affected by machine translation. And I know that students will use any available tool to help them get an assignment done. Mm -hmm. And I don't necessarily think that's a bad thing, because as you pointed out, it's a question of how do you use the tool? Mm -hmm. Do you have enough understanding and knowledge so the tool is more an add on to your learning? Mm -hmm. Is it like, ah, I don't know the vocabulary word or I'm not really sure about this grammatical structure to explain that I have some doubts about what I'm saying? ChatGPT and machine translation are wonderful tools yeah as long as the students are noticing and they say ah oh, look at that now i got it and they take a note and they look at it you know it's the same thing if a student just uses grammarly or you know language tool or some other grammar checker to fix their papers and they just click okay 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 and fix the paper and then submit it they've learned nothing mm. so my 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 thing so to speak is that we're not teaching students how to use these as learning tools and we're not teaching that in the beginning so that the students who will use this as a shortcut um, Mm. are quote kind of in a certain way gaining the upper hand and that students then have a feeling okay for example You've banned the use of ChatGPT. Students don't feel they can use it, and they're losing out on this incredible learning tool. And I've talked about this on the site, but um, and I teach my students this, that you can take any text, put it into ChatGPT, and basically specify what English level you want in terms of, let's say, a TOEFL score or certain vocabulary levels, and ChatGPT can rewrite that text at your level. Mm-mm. That's or you can ask ChatGPT to summarize an article that you've read or listened to, and before you read the ChatGPT summary, you you write your own summary and then you compare it and check it, and you can actually put your summary into ChatGPT and ask it to compare to its summary. I mean, this, these are learnings. These are tools. These are powerful tools as long as we teach students the proper way. But yeah. it's kind of like I remember when Google was banned. You cannot use Google to do any research. You cannot use Wikipedia. Um, Mm, mm, mm. And as Tony has pointed out, this was the first reaction to the calculator. Oh, no, students will forget how to do math. No, No, they learn how to do math and arithmetic in different ways. These are tools. So it's kind of an interesting thing. But you're probably, you think, not going to follow through with that for your master's or you think you're going to move more into, you know, testing. What do you think? How are you going to go forward?
1: Um, I think my main major will be my. I mean, my, my main interest now is like teacher training, so I'm gonna um look at it. But I I want to learn how to use ChatGPT effectively when, especially when they when the students wants to learn something like new like for example i'm started to learn you know stats and like item response theory and stuff but oh, have fun. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's very hard to learn yes. from the bottom but chat helped me a lot cuz while i, I st- when i started to read a book about for example irt uh, it was so hard, yeah, and there are a lot of terminologies, and I, you know, some words I don't understand. So I Chat ChatGPT, and if I don't understand the output from the ChatGPT, I ask the ChatGPT for clarification or like to make it easier. And and, and you know, he, I don't know, she <laughs> is very kind to do it, you know, and again and again and again, right? Mm-hmm. So. Yeah, I kept asking questions un- until I I can understand, and ChatGPT never gets angry, <laughs> irritated. So that's the best teacher ever, and he or she is very it. you know yeah <laughs> okay it it is a. No, for me it's a it's a she or he. Um, it's very kind. So I think students should use that way, you know, in communicative way, not as like a searching like device or something, you know. It it can also be a searching and device, but also like a communication tool.
0: Yeah, yeah I, I'm planning to use it in classes by having my students. Ask ChatGPT a question and say, provide four possible responses like your teacher says something and you don't understand what to do, but your teacher doesn't usually stop the lecture and react to (laughs) students who raise their hands. What should we do to get the teacher to respond to us? And and then tell ChatGPT, give us four options. And then Mm -mm. the students as a group have to choose which option is best. Mm hmm. I think that's yeah. a great great activity, but um I want to stop with the ChatGPT for a second and go back to okay. your thinking about teacher training. What mm-hmm. aspect of teacher training uh, are you interested in or curious about that you'd like to investigate?
1: yeah this year i i I helped uh some I helped some students who want to wanted to be a teacher and who were about to take like teacher's exam and I looked at teaching skill and I didn't know what the teaching skills are you know the self-skills you know I know how to teach like from my experience but I don't know like theoretical knowledge so it was first of all it was very difficult but um I found that there were like three three kind three categories like like attitude like actions and attitude in the classroom and also the uh the knowledge about how to teach something and also the knowledge about the subject and we need three we have three like perspective the points and we should look at those differently and if i give them like concrete advice to for those points then the students will learn how to act or how to teach like better
0: okay and so you would set up some situation where you would you know have student teachers like learn something, and then you'd have a control group where they wouldn't learn that, and then you would look at how well the students learn the lesson hmm is that something you would be doing yeah, 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 okay, right <laughs> yeah 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 yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's all very interesting i i uh always remember that uh John Hattie talked about the difference between novice, experienced, and expert teachers. Mm. And I kind of like that distinction, right? Beginner and then people who've been doing the job for a long time and then um, expert teachers. And it was always Mm. interesting just that, you know, like expert teachers don't really have like really detailed lesson plans. They have like just general outcomes they're trying to achieve because they've been doing the job for so long. They know how to achieve those learning goals, get the students to do what they need to do. Mm It's all very interesting. So, yeah, it sounds like it's an exciting time for you, especially that you get to come back and do the academic part again with, you know, actual classroom teaching experience, which I think really helps you balance out things. Because sometimes I read a theory and I just go, yeah, but that's just not going to work in the real world. Right. Mm -hmm. And so now. But when I started teaching, I didn't have that knowledge. I didn't know how to apply the theory or figure out, oh, wait, you know, that might be the way to go. But now this is more important right now. And one of the things I just I always emphasize is I think that we don't provide students with enough uh, classroom experience. I mean, actually, theory of classroom management. And there's also not enough, I think, of an emphasis on, you know, the science of learning Right. Like, how do people Mm -hmm. learn? What's the best way to learn? You know, how does a brain learn things and how does a, you know, a child in elementary school's brain, you know, are they learning differently from the way, a, you know, a high school student would learn things? So I think that there's a lot of things that we need to do in a teacher training program. So I'll be looking forward to reading your master's thesis. I'll do my best. I'm sure you will. (laughs) Okay. I think Taishi, it's a good time to finish up. We're at our usual, like, you know, finishing time, which is 56 minutes. And I want to say thank you very much for joining us today and giving us, you you know, your insights and experience about being a a real world teacher, (laughs) a real (laughs) high school teacher. So thank you again. And let me just do our closing here. So thanks to our listeners. This is Two Teachers Talking, and you know where to find us at com and talking at com. And again, Taishi, thank you very much for giving us your time and sharing your experiences with us.
1: Yeah, thank you, too, for inviting me. Thank you, everyone. Okay. Bye now.